All right, Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rapport. This week we have on Gabrielle Camara, chef of the iconic Mexico City restaurant Contramar. Uh, she also runs Cala in San Francisco. And Gabby just released a cookbook a few weeks ago called My Mexico City Kitchen Recipes and Convictions. It's full of the type of dishes she serves at her restaurants. Super fresh, local, and seafood forward. We chat about how she makes her guacamole because I had to ask that question. The trajectory of her career, she opened Contramar when she was just 21 years old. Uh, oh, and her newest project, the forthcoming restaurant she's opening with Squirrels, Jessica Kozlow, in Santa Monica. Okay, here we go. Gabrielle Camaro, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Adam. What did you have for breakfast this morning? I still have not had breakfast. What? I've only had two cappuccinos. Oh, two cappuccinos, whole one milk. At, one at eight p.m. Uh, at eight p.m. One at eight a.m. and the other one just twenty minutes ago. Do you are you like a hotel type? Do you stay with friends when you come to New York? Airbnb? What's your sit? I no, I'm a hotel type. In New York, I like to stay at a hotel. I usually stay. Yeah, I, and then I I came t- for this dinner that was at Kim Hastrider's house last night. Okay, and sure. so I stayed at the Marlton. Oh, nice. For the first time. Yeah. It's a really cool place. That's Rooms good. are s- small. Yeah. That's like, but they're that, very cool. It's a very cool. I'd never been in. That's most New York, or at least downtownish New York uh, yeah. hotels. You're like, wow, cool place, but small like, wh- rooms are very I, expensive. Where, where do I put my <laughs> toothbrush? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have like one little closet with yeah. two hangers. And you're yeah. like, oh, awesome. Yeah. Let's say you were in Mexico City back at your own place. What do you, What's your morning routine in terms of food or coffee? I always start with coffee. And I usually do have some kind of breakfast, mm-hmm. but just today I had to get out yeah. sooner than I, um, I don't like to have, you know, like a hearty, I don't, I don't like to have eggs at 8 a.m. when I no, just right? wake up. Yeah. No, I need to do something before and then I can have breakfast. I need, like, I really like, I, I, and we will talk about your book and your restaurants and everything, but I, I, I'm always, I realize like my alarm goes off basically at 6.45 to get my kid ready for school and everything. Then I go get a nice coffee. I realize I don't actually eat anything until I get to work which, and make something in the test kitchen. So at that point, it's probably 9.15, I've almost been up for three hours at that point. I am totally that way. Yeah. I never even have coffee before I drop Lucas off at school. Yeah. So your book is coming out um, yes. April 30th. The book will already have been out when this podcast okay. is airing. Uh, so so con- your book, my book is out. Congratulations. <laughs> it's beautiful. My Mexico City Kitchen with uh, wonderful photos by our friend Marcus Nilsson. I love the cover with just so many ripe, gorgeous limes and a little lime citrus squeezer on there. And, the, and that beautiful like, sort of like, it's a, what is it about like, the, the Mexico and the color blue? Just they... They, some, there's something about it. Just you think maybe so? it's the ocean. I think a lot of times at restaurants and stuff. I think it's stuff. Contramar with the color blue, but not Mexico. Well, no, you see a lot of blue plates and stuff in Mexico. Well, you do have the blue Talavera, like the the the, and then you have the blue Frida Kahlo, of course, which yeah. is yeah. I don't know for some reason very distinct. For some reason, in my mind, it's very evocative. Good. I don't know, but yeah. So they, that beautiful blue. I love blue. It's my favorite color. So. Let's talk about the book. Uh, love the book. <laughs> love the recipes. Uh, love your restaurant, Contramar. Um, I didn't know much about you. I mean, I knew you personally, socially somewhat. I didn't know much about your background. It's interesting reading the book, learning that you, your mother was Italian. Uh-huh. Father was Mexican. They uh-huh. met in the States uh-huh. while they were studying uh-huh. in college back uh-huh. in the 60s. Uh-huh. So talk about it, it, that, that sort of interesting dichotomy of like, 
grown up in Mexico, but with an Italian mother who obviously brought different sort of cooking sensibilities uh-huh. to your house. And and what was it like being the kid with the, the Italian mom? Well, I, I think I've always been in places where I don't really fit in, but I yeah. do. Uh-huh. So I was born in when my parents got when my parents decided to get married, they moved to Chihuahua in the north of the country where neither of them f- were from there. And they were wor- they were working there. My father had this project in a community, so we were not from there. And then we moved to the to Mexico City and then from there my parents decided that they wanted to raise my brother and myself in the countryside. So we had um, we we really had the fortune of growing up in Tepoztlan, which was a really small town. It still is a small town, but now it's very full of fancy homes for weekends and a lot of tourists during the day because it's very close to Mexico City. So it's a good sort of like day trip yeah. for Mexico City, and it's packed. But we never fit in. I mean, we were we we and we did, but we were always sort of the black sheep of wherever. But I think my parents have always been the black sheep of their family. So it's something that I've sort of inherited. And I have come to think that that's great now. But when I was growing up, it wasn't always easy. Like, I wanted my mom to know how to make tortillas like every other woman in the town. And my mother did not care about making tortillas. (laughs) And I wanted my mom later to, like, be fancy and go play tennis and get a manicure. And she was an academic. She was not into that. And my father was always, like, I mean, they were these very cool not hippies but very very liberal very progressive we were we've always been sort of i i mean the word is horrible but we've always been sort of weird yeah. you know like not not weird but not not your common but, I mean, but, but aren't like not your conventional mexican family anywhere like not in the fancy way that like some of my family is or not in the um, I don't know. We, we it, It's always sort of a, a, you know, in Italy, I was not Italian. I, in Mexico, I was not fully Mexican. Yeah. In the States, I've always been, you know, from Mexico. It's, it's, it's always... But isn't that the most interesting people? It, it always seems like the most interesting people are ones who have childhoods that are a little challenging or a little unorthodox. No, and you think it's cool when you're older, but when, yes. you're, when you're young, I remember when my parents would take me out of school for three months. And of course, we went to Italy and it was great, but then I'd come back and... Your classmates were like, where were you? I mean, it, it wasn't traumatizing, fortunately, but it was, I do remember I was, I, you know, I tell my mom, mom, but like, I got the best grades. I'm going to carry the flag. How am I going to like leave for three months? And they, they didn't. I mean, my parents always never thought that school was that important, fortunately, and they made it easy and everything. Like we go to good environments. It wasn't yeah. like I was suffering, but it was, it was, I guess, constant learning to adjust that now I very much appreciate. But when you're growing up, it's, you just want to do what you want to do, what every other kid does around you. Yeah, you don't want to be different. You know. So when, so when at what age <laughs> did you start to feel like you found yourself and start to feel like you fit in and found your people? I guess when I opened Contramar, which is why I just stayed in restaurants. Yeah, which was really young. Yeah. So you, you went to college in Mexico I went to university Mexico in Mexico. And in Mexico, it's not college. You go to one subject. Yeah. So I had a really difficult time deciding what to study. And you have to decide that at 17. Like, yeah. What I'm yeah, gonna, yeah. What I'm going to be. Physicist. Yeah. Like you just do yeah. uh, engineering <laughs> and physics and math. And, yeah. uh, and I decided I would study history because it was more... It was a more general, you know, it was a lot of philosophy, literature. Gave you some options afterwards, yes. potentially. And I wanted like to, to be... if you want to open a restaurant. No, <laughs> yeah. no, I was not, that was not on my radar, yeah. unfortunately, or unfortunately, because then I did other things that were more interesting before. And I do think that people in restaurants that have done other, that have like 
either seriously been in other disciplines or have experiences beyond restaurant world in life are so much more interesting in oh, terms well, of well, their... It gives the restaurant some texture and some, uh-huh. and some depth. And uh-huh. I remember we were interviewing uh, Rita Sodi and Jody Williams from E. Sodi and Via Carota and everything. Mm-hmm. And, and Rita grew up in the fashion business in, yeah. in, in, in Italy and moved to New York and never worked in a restaurant kitchen and never run a restaurant. But she was like, I want to open a restaurant because yeah. there's no good Italian, Italian restaurants in New York. Yeah. And she opened a very unique place that when you go into her restaurant at Isodi, you feel like you're someplace that is not like any other restaurant. Totally. Because it's totally hers and her own weird, I don't want to say weird vision. Yes, but yes, yes. Vision. But unique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally unique and, and, and very distinct of her. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, I, I wanted to, I thought I would be an academic because my that, uh, that's the environment I grew up in. And I, so that's sort of what I just grew up thinking that I would be and so I wanted I was uh, my mother is an art historian and I would always go with her to conferences or when I was studying and I said you know it's it's very interesting but if I am going to do if I'm going to be in art I'm going to be in contemporary art because people in contemporary art dress so much cooler than anybody (laughs) else and I you know I was always sort of interested in different things and I was always interested in food but never considered going to cooking school because I never I didn't want to be a chef. But then you, it wasn't cool like it is now no, to be was, a chef in the nineties. It is back then, and I've talked about this before in the pod. Like it was like a job. There was a lot of manual labor involved. It was very sort of like yeah, it, and it, it was still not is hip. that. No, everybody thinks it's very cool and sophisticated, but it's actually a lot of just hard physical labor. Yeah, but you know what? Any any job that comes with like rewards and fame and all that stuff often is a result of a lot of hard work. You oh, know? For sure. People always, for sure, people but it always isn't see the upside. On a desk. Yeah, people always see the upside. They don't see all that went into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you didn't want to open a restaurant, but then you went with your friends to the beach to party and hang out. <laughs> no. And so all of a sudden you had this idea. No, yeah, I, well, yes, I yes. always, well, uh, yes. You're yes. saying you didn't go to the beach and party? No, no, I did, I did, I did. Yes. And, I, and I went to the beach since I was, you know, all my life because my parent, my grandparents, I guess in Italy, everybody's used to going to the beach a lot. Like everybody goes to the beach at least, and you know, it, during it, the summer. Also, during the, you know what I love about Italy? You go to yeah. the beach and Mexico, and you eat well. Yes. In America, you go to the beach, you do not eat well. Exactly. You're bringing stuff to the beach, and the sand gets in yes. it. There's no restaurants there on the beach, or if they are, they're like boardwalk crap. Yeah. Yeah. In Italy and Mexico, you, you can eat actually well. eat well and great restaurants. So and sit down. so, and then you know, and my grandfather loved to fish, so we'd go fishing, and then we would cook. But I always, I always had said that I wanted to, when I would retire, I wanted to open a bed and breakfast in Italy and I wanted to retire. And I was so like you were you were like 20 years old and you're already thinking about retiring. Well, I thought that eventually I would like to do that. Like yeah. eventually I would love to have a restaurant or something, but not, I had no idea about it. So anyways, when, when, you know, when, when we were this new year's party with this other friend who was living in Italy and didn't want to live in Italy and you know, he was living in Turin working at the Fiat company he was not happy there and we just said let's just, let's just open a restaurant let's just let's just have like ceviche and grilled fish and we'll see and it really was sort of an experiment of a very 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 reduced menu hold on how old are you at this point <laughs> I was 21 21 okay so like when when most Americans typically are graduating yeah it was my last college. year in college and you would go to the beach well college you... was five years so okay. it was my 
the uni- university. Yeah. University. Uh, yes. And in Mexico, you would typically go to Zihuatanejo. Yes. Um, but I've been going there all my yeah. life. And you'd have ceviche and grilled fish and, and fresh, you know, beans that were just mashed with the lard there and fresh tortillas and sauces, and. And you're like, why can't we do this in? And Mexico? we no, and we also realize that in Mexico City, you have Mexico is such a centralized country that you actually have amazing fish in the city that you didn't enjoy because also it was the 90s people were into you know foie gras and sardines from spain and and you know mussels from new zealand nobody was into local fish and then the molecular gastronomy things that was much fancier but you know but listen i get you but there's there's a long history of like restaurants from elsewhere like people want to open oh i'm just going to open a cool Portuguese style beach restaurant in New York City and it just doesn't translate or you know to try to to try to transfer the vibes yes. in emotion and culture of a particular restaurant in a particular environment in this case on the beach in Mexico and move it into this massive city in the middle of the country landlocked like yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. easy to do I know, but we, I guess we did it because we didn't really think about it that much. Yeah. We just so good. did like, it. Sometimes, like, yeah, don't overthink it. And we really did it because we had no idea about it. If yeah. we would have known more, we would have, you know, put more, I don't know, maybe we would, maybe it wouldn't have felt so fresh in a way. How many, it also how felt m- fresh because we did it with so little. So how many, how many partners to start? Four. 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 And if I tell you our original do investment, any of them, do any of them still exist as partners? No, they don't. Yeah. Because one other one went on, and he has like a big group of restaurants in Mexico City, super successful. The other one has like is more into coffee, and then another one just went out of restaurants. And yeah. he's the my current partner bought this other partner out very early on. How much? So, did it, how much did it cost to open the restaurant? No, I'm not going to tell you. Why it's not? ridiculous. It's no, it's so ridiculous. Why, not? why is it ridiculous? Because it's, it's, it's 20 years ago. It's water under it the bridge. We went to the markets to buy our our um, grill, and it was just you know how in Mexico you have these street stands where you have basically like a a a a, 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 a gas little tank. Yep. And you open the yeah yeah little the, nozzle yeah, and everything. Yeah, and you have these like the star with pipes with little holes in them. Yep. That's how our kitchen was made. I mean, our grill how for the fish. How much did it cost to open the restaurant? Less than $50,000. That's great. So the whole thing, the whole kit and caboodle. So you, so you open this restaurant. But it looked nice. It always looked like simple but nice. You mural over the bar. And that, that was our biggest expense. I went yes. into the space and I thought, no, we need color. And my uncle was a really good painter. And he had made these murals in another restaurant that was sort of relevant in my Growing up in Mexico City, it was a restaurant by the, by the university, so sort of more of an intellectual crown. Anyways, he had done he had made these murals. It was an Italian restaurant, so he'd made these murals of Florence and of Venice, and you know, of course, I felt really. Anyways, it, I thought to me when I when we when I thought we need color here, it was okay. Let's ask my uncle immediately for something, and I think he really nailed it because we didn't have money. So we said, you need, you know, you can't, it can't be intricate. It can't be sophisticated. It can't be. Like, we need to do something really simple, and he did something so simple that has become iconic. And we don't need anything else. In but it's this big blue mural. Yeah. It's, it's at once. It looks both modern and very traditionally Mexican sort of native Who, going I mean, back centuries. I really think it's the success of that place is that mural. But also evokes the sea, yes? Yeah, yeah. totally. Okay, so let's talk about the restaurant itself. So Contramar, I what I love about the restaurant, and I have many thoughts, and, um, I think it's at once... <laughs> it's, it's, so, it's so fun to hear you talk about it. Okay, so I think it's it's a very 
chic restaurant, yet it's a very welcoming and fun restaurant. It's kind of fancy, but it's also super simple. And it sort of like straddles this line on all those times that you feel like you're somewhere nice, but you don't feel like you've got to behave yourself and, you know, and don't put the fork in the wrong place or am I using the right this or that. Totally, you, you totally. immediately feel, you walk in, you're like, oh, this is awesome. And you know what? I think it was, I think it was that time in Mexico City also where the city was ready for good food in an informal environment because usually good food was formal environment or street food. And yeah. Contramar is like the, you know, in between. It because was a good yeah, in between. You, you said it's like the type of ceviche you can get on the beach in Zihuatanejo. Uh-huh. But it's in a, it's like I said, it's, it's a beautiful open space, a lot of energy. The, the, but don't your, do your waiters wear bow ties? Yes, they do. Yeah, they do. So and whose decision was that? What, did you debate, was, like, should no, we just have like yes, casual yes, waiters? Yes, yes, because it was, in Mexico, you do not have, I mean, servers are, it's sort of a, it's a profession. And all these new restaurants in Condesa that had emerged in the late, you know, the 90s. And explain Condesa. Condesa, Okay, Condesa is this neighborhood that sort of reemerged after the earthquake in 85, just because it was close to, you know, it's close to downtown, cool apartments, and a lot of artists moved there because it was cheap. Yeah, it's kind of, it's, I would say it's not exactly because Mexico is a very different city, but it's it's kind of has the feel of the West Village of New York, like yes. tree-lined streets, yes. little apartments, little cafes. That now is very gentrified when yeah. before it was rough. But it, it, in yeah, a way, it's super nice to walk around yes. in now. As a and tourist. it's very it's very close to downtown, and it's close to a bunch of neighborhoods. You know, Roma, Condesa, Cuauhtémoc, Juarez. So it's this sort of new. Newly discovered old parts yeah. of a city, right? It's a great walking, walking yes. part of town. A lot of green, a lot Little of trees, parks, parks. Take your dog yes. to the dog run, that sort yes. of place. Yes. And I, you know, when we, we definitely wanted to do something there, but we, it was, we were so clear on wanting professional waiters and tablecloths. And we were See, about. That's also interesting. Yeah. Nowadays, no one has a tablecloth. Nobody. Yeah. Because it's also, you need to think of the ecological impact well, that's of that. True. Yeah, well, yeah, washing that. Interesting. But. But we wanted to make a statement of how we were focusing. I think, I mean, it, and it really wasn't that, I mean, conceptually, I think it was perfect, but we weren't intellectualizing it that much. We just wanted a place where people could not spend a, a large amount of money, not think about it as a formal place to go on just special occasions, sort of an everyday eatery, yeah. but with really good service and amazing food. Yeah. And so for good food, at that, you know, it was 1998. In 1998, you needed tablecloths for, fe- for people to think that the restaurant was halfway decent yeah, but it's interesting. It's, or it's, halfway it's, sort of good. It's, but as a restaurant, it's funny because like it's not it, it doesn't have that feel of one of those old school, high end colonial style Spanish Mexican city res- Mexico City restaurants. Nor is it super like I said, molecular gastronomy uh-huh, and modern. Uh-huh. It's somewhere uh-huh. in that in between that just feels contemporary, and it feels con- as contemporary now as I, I imagine it must have been. I think it, you know what? I think it feels more contemporary now than before because mm-hmm. before it felt just like a, I mean, I guess it did feel contemporary because people did really appreciate it yeah. very soon. Yeah. None of us had any experience. None of us had any, you know, nobody knew us. Like nobody was going to go to the restaurant because we were famous or. Yeah, you didn't, it wasn't like people no, were waiting Nobody for had the any expectation. And so I think it was a good surprise. People yeah. were pleasantly surprised. Like these kids that were 
actually working yeah. instead of you know we it, no. it was it was and sort you brought of, energy to the place. All right, by two restaurants. All right, before we get into yes. the book and recipes, yes. I want to hear your thoughts because yeah. two other sort of iconic restaurants that remind me of Contramar or Contramar reminds me of one is Balthazar in New York City uh-huh. and one is River Cafe in London. And those were definite res- uh, references for me. Yeah. For and, sure. And, and what, in what regards were they references? Because pff, River Cafe, because to me, as I mean, my mom's from Florence, so it's food I really know in a very intimate way. And to have been in London and tasted those like flavors of basic, super simple sort of contadino food in Italy was just ex- and in such a cool environment. Yeah. Felt modern, but felt again, modern, very but again, and and really good. Like the flavors, flavors were extraordinary. Yeah. and you oh, know, and you eat a papa al pomodoro, which is something that you have in a trattoria in Italy or in your aunt's house. It's nothing, yeah. nothing fancy. But served in nice tablecloths. But- very professional but friendly waiters. It's also interesting yes. both with now I think about with that with the River Cafe is that you're eating very, very authentic sort of soulful, simple, simple Italian food mm-hmm. in London. And then what you were trying to do at Contramar is take this very coastal Mexican food from Z yeah. and transfer it to the, 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 the middle of the country in Mexico City. And for example, in Contramar, we did things like we were certain we wanted fresh made tortillas. Nobody 20 years ago cared about fresh made tortillas in Mexico City. Nobody was into corn or you know, now now we're all obsessed about it and heirloom corn and heirloom yeah, varieties. Yeah. And But 20 years ago, nobody, no fresh tortillas were found except for in certain very like Mexican authentic well, let's talk about that let's talk about some some specifics of what you yeah. serve okay that- so River Cafe and then Baldessar just to yeah. finish with yeah. your references that you know it's sort of an, an institution in the city and it was it was just this again this I remember coming to Baldessar and thinking wow I mean this is so well done and the food isn't. I mean, the food is great, but I always it isn't, say that I always say the food about Balthazar is good enough. But also, it's, but also, in nineteen ninety-seven, yeah. it was better than now, maybe. Yeah. Or yeah, more, sure. Or you hadn't. Yeah. But I you think, didn't I have think, as many I, options. I think as what's, you have un, now. what's unique about Balthazar, similar to Contramar, is like you walk in and you just smile. You're, yeah. you're just psyched to be there. Yeah. And still, twenty some years later, it's the same way. Yeah. All right. So I want to talk about just some 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 food and in, in, okay. in your in your sort of approach to cooking in the sense of authenticity versus your own flavors versus your own upbringing and, and sort of your own interests. And I guess you have a recipe for guacamole, guacamole, which is like the first thing that every American person wants to look at when they buy a Mexican cookbook. Like, how do I make guacamole? And you, and so you have some thoughts. It's interesting. You say, some purists insist that guacamole should be just mashed avocado and salt. But the truth is people across Mexico put all kinds of things in it. When I was young, my friend's mom served a guacamole that tasted different from anything I'd ever had. I watched while she mashed up the next batch and saw her spoon nor seasoning powder (laughs) from a jar into the molcajete. Loaded with MSG, that bouillon was giving the guacamole an artificial injection of umami, which is why it was so tasty. However, you can get a complex and addictive flavor naturally from a blend of salt, lime, onion, tomato, chili, cilantro, and oil, which is how I make mine. Yeah, there's lots of different ways to make it. So the fact, many. The they fact put that, you know, they put grasshoppers in yeah. guacamole. But you, put, add, you also add olive oil, I which do. is probably not typical, right? Right. I also add and olive why? oil because, why you add, why add, why because olive it oil? ties it together and it comes out really smooth and nice. It just tastes good. Do you think you would have done that if your mom had not, if you probably grew up not in an Italian household, I, you, I imagine you would not have reached for olive oil, though. 
I don't know. I I guess. I guess olive oil. You know, so many people have asked me that. So, I mean, because olive oil always was a thing in my house. But also, in Mexico, we have a huge Spanish heritage. So, yes. olive oil is sort of a common enough ingredient in Mexico. And people do add it to guacamole. Like, I've seen other people do it. I think it's just not what you think about when you think of guacamole. Yeah. And it's also something that I've become very much... I think it's something that also here, or cooking in San Francisco, where you have amazing avocados, but not always as ripe. Yep. If you add a little bit of, of, of avocado, then it really becomes oh, this- a little olive oil. Oh, sorry, yeah. of olive oil to the avocados. They really like come together it kind and- of smooths it out. Yeah, interesting. Um, you know how sometimes avocados can be watery? Oh yeah, yeah. And you, you know, ripe avocados are not. I mean, depends on the on the variety of avocados, but usually the best kinds of avocados to make guacamole with are very unctuous, like, buttery. Yeah, yeah buttery. Yeah. So you've got this beautiful restaurant. You've got the ceviches. You have a couple other dishes we'll talk about that are very sort of iconic at this point. But you, you were very adamant about having homemade hand pressed tortillas, and I guess the question is why. And also, I think in America there's not really an equivalent in that. We're a country of so many different types of cuisines. There's not that one thing that's always on a table when an American family sits down to eat necessarily. You not know even I mean? bread, right? No, because it's also like maybe if you're Italian-American, you've got this bread. But if you're a different sort of, you know, it's not but you like know how in, in, in these days. In this you day and have age, bread always. Yeah, at but a table? yeah, but, and different yes, but no bread one eats depending it. Yeah, on but in Italy, like there'll be Italian. There's always t- bread in the table in Tuscany. No one, everyone just looks at it, but no one actually eats it. Oh yeah, yeah. You clean your plate with it. No, they, depending no, they on where don't. you are. They never do. It's like bad, saltless bread that no one eats. <sighs> Don't, it's like, say it's that. Like, don't say that about Tuscan bread. It's like water on the table also. The Italians that just look at the water bottle but they never actually drink it. They're just no. too busy drinking wine. No. Um, so, <laughs> but yeah, so why you could obviously could have opened a nice restaurant mm-hmm. without sort of insisting on hand-pressed, freshly made tortillas every day. But I, I, guess, I guess one of the things that was really important at Contramar, and for me for sure, was flavor. And I, I think that's the Italian part of, you know, not not to idealize Italian ways of eating, but I do think that within this turmoil of industrialized food and the way that we've sort of come to eat everywhere in the world that is very, yeah, like lacking in flavor or adding flavor in artificial ways, I think Italians still have a very sort of a deep respect for flavors in different seasons in a way mm, that yeah. that of sort of I, I just assimilated and that I wasn't as aware of but I for me food was always the important part of food was that it was good yeah. like I needed you know for me food needed to be good good in terms of quality in terms of flavor in terms of just good and I know it's very relative to say that but it but it really makes a difference when you're thinking of a tortilla a tortilla that is freshly made is so much better than a tortilla that has been reheated it's just there's no, and as you say, maybe there's no comparison to any like carb, any bread. But I mean, you, because some bread is not better freshly baked, right? You need to you need it to okay. sit and yeah. wait. And but tortillas, for sure, are at its best when they're freshly made. And I grew up in Tepoztlan, so this is again the richness of having different backgrounds. Like while growing up, is that you are aware of different good things and growing up in the countryside i had access to amazing tortillas they you know people there traditionally grow their own corn 
keep it for the rest of the year. They grow enough so that they can have it fresh, and then they can dry it, and then they can keep on making tortillas for the whole year till the next crop. But do people still do that, or are, they all, just, are they all just on their iPhones now, and like they got in too many other things to I posting you, on they Instagram? Do. Unfortunately, in the country and as a whole, they are not. And it's, but you, you see know, that in Italy, too. Italy used to be such a sort of a, quote-unquote, rustic company where people did things by hand. And as it gets modernized and as big grocery stores open, and it's like, oh, you know what? I'll just buy the tomato, the pureed tomatoes. I don't need to puree them myself. But you know what? They are really obsessed with quality in a way that is still like you. Italy, I think, and I, 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 I don't want to generalize about this, but I do believe that even industrialized processes in Italy are smaller and ensure quality yeah, in a way like even like for example when you know now that it's easter season everybody has colombas i don't know how many people make them at home i mean i'm sure yeah. most of them are commercially yeah i distributed, think, well, I think, I think but I th they are but people do notice the oh, difference the in difference, quality yeah. and the difference and, and some of them are super expensive and you wonder why but then you taste it and then it's like oh yeah because this is actually made with eggs or this is yeah. actually i think there's still an appreciation for ingredients and also you said for seasons in italy especially like they really look forward to spring for like the first fava beans yeah, yeah, yeah. uh and artichokes and this yeah. and that and they understand when things come into season although now with you know you have both parents working and stuff like people don't have the time to necessarily do everything by hand so you've got to sort of pick and choose totally but people go to the matters. supermarket and have you know an offering of six brands and they yeah. do know that this one is yep. better or this one is family run or whatever i mean i do think that there the industrialization there hasn't been as bad but it's been terrible everywhere in mexico it's been really bad people do not grow their corn anymore because it's not their it's not worth their while they grow corn for themselves mm -hmm. those who can afford it but in the countryside, people don't grow. I mean, people don't can't live off planting corn unless. No. Yeah. So it's you know we yeah, the we're importing. Of farming have completely changed. So it, and it, but it's bad. I mean, it's, yeah. it hasn't taken us anywhere better in yeah. the world, and especially in Mexico. In Mexico, and this is really sad. We have the second largest um, child uh, child obesity, uh, you know, um, population, and then tons of diabetes. Like really. Like most sicknesses are related to diabetes of adults in in the you know in in the country, and it's you know it's it's bad. It's reduced. I mean, it it does it does make you think of how eating well is much more than just enjoying a meal. Yeah. And I've always been very aware of that. Like I've always, for me, it's always been also like a political thing, not like a, like it's always been very sort of a constitution of who you are. To, to choose one thing over another and to pay the farmer instead of paying a corporation or to, you know, to not do Nestle, but to actually go with the coffee growers and pay them whatever it costs them to pick the coffee, which is a pain and, you know, all, like with, with everything. And I think for restaurants, it's very, you know, now that's very popular. But 20 years ago, nobody was talking about that. In Mexico, people were talking about, you know, fame or fancy chefs were talking about the perfect, as I was saying, like the perfect foie gras from yeah. wherever, and it, the sustainability or the you know the footprint of that wasn't even an issue. But it's also, but it's also when you open the restaurant, it's also you're just trying to make it successful. When you're first, you is but like, we really did want to make a restaurant that was different, or a mm -hmm. restaurant that was we had no you know we didn't want to make a restaurant to compete in any type of way with fancy Mexican restaurants. We wanted it to be really good tasty with fresh mexican ingredients that had not traveled or being you know yeah. or kept frozen or uh and that people would be surprised by and you think we, and you think that the customer could 
taste that difference without having to be told that totally difference. yeah they didn't need a pr release totally yeah. totally and then people started it, it would, and we always i was i remember thinking about it like we always were very aware of the fact that word of mouth would be our best proper you know our best way to have the restaurant be yeah. full and it was that way over the years have there been any like criticisms or critiques that you've actually been like oh that's a good point maybe i should change this or maybe i should so many yeah like like what i mean when you open a restaurant and then what mistakes did you make (laughs) i've I've made of so many but i i you know i think when you open a restaurant you have to have clarity of what it is because everybody's always wanting to tell you how what it should be Mm -hmm. and oh you should everybody (laughs) has their own idea of how they you know things should be or how they're how it should be served or whatever but I think, you know, through the years, we've just been more professional. We've just been more, we've become, we've become much more aware of, say, um, what have we done differently? I mean, in principle, we are, we're doing the same, but we just have done it now to a much more sort of consistent degree. Yeah. You know, it's just, we, we have these, you know, at the beginning, we were buying tuna that was, you know who knew who had fished it, but now we know exactly where. It, with because also within the last twenty years, I mean it always was an issue in terms of sustainability, and the, it was it was already people who knew already were very sort of scared about it, but now it's really an issue, and the whole, you know, the way the methods of fishing and the like it's all. Well, let's talk, let's talk about that because one of one of your your trademark dishes at Cantamar and, and a version of it uh, at Cala in San Francisco um, is are your tostada, your tuna tostadas. Yes. Um, so talk to me about the sort of the the creation of that dish because that was not a typical dish at the no. time with like sashimi style tuna on no, a tostada. No, it was not. Like that's kind of a fusiony or like totally, where, where, did, where did that totally. idea come I from? I mean, it was the nineties. Yeah. All right. So explain this this dish to us. Okay. So this. We really wanted to use Mexican fish. So our being local was using Mexican fish. And Mexican fish is, you know, Mexico is a big country with a lot yeah. of beaches. So Mexican fish is very relative. But the only point was we, we, we did not want to import fish from other parts of the world. And we, we you know, black or dark meat in fish has was never really appreciated. And I think that's a Japanese thing that in Mexico, you know, with Japanese restaurants being more popular, becoming more popular, and with and there were all these restaurants that were like doing fusion things in Mexico, uh, or a couple of them then, because now they've grown like crazy. But there was this specific chain that was called Sushito. And they had this chipotle mayonnaise that was so delicious. <laughs> and they would put it, you know, with the fake crab with the... With the, what's it, what's it called the Japanese? Um, anyways, they made yeah. this mix with this yeah. like you know fish gelatin thing concoction with rice um, flour and chipotle and mayonnaise, and it was so good. And anyways, it was just all these things that 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 were new flavors. But also with tuna, tuna tuna was not appreciated in Mexico mm-hmm. because everybody wanted white fish. Yeah, interesting. So. Tuna was the cheapest fish, and we wanted to do really? something with the cheapest fish. And we <laughs> we we made like a tuna fillet, and it was, I guess, here in New York or in other parts of the world, it was like a cool thing to have, like the you know, blackened tuna. Yeah, seared f- on the se- outside. Yes, yes. But it wasn't. You know, it was. This is pre Instagram. This is pre social media at at a at a scale as it is today. So. It was a novelty in Mexico. It really was a novelty. 
And we wanted to use tuna because tuna was the cheapest fish. It literally cost eight pesos a kilo, and now it costs you know more than 500. But we were also to blame for yeah. tuna being popular <laughs> because it became an amazingly popular dish. And it was sort of, oh, so the inspiration so ex- was explain, like explain, the wonton. Explain the dish to the reader who okay. can't see this. Okay, oh, yeah, so, so this is a, a tostada. A tostada is basically a, a corn tortilla that is toasted or fried, but it becomes crispy. And you were saying, but I, I did not know that if you're going to make tostadas, it's good to have like day-old yes. tortillas. You don't want super fresh ones. No. Because they because, curl up when they fry. Yes. If you if you want them to puff up, mm-hmm. then you then you put them, you know, you put them in the oil mm-hmm. when they're fresh. But if you want them to keep flat, you need to make them okay. be okay. old. Cool. Good tip. Yeah, very good tip. All right, so you get your crispy, freshly fried tostada. Yes. And, and then? And then we put a, chipo- a chipotle mayonnaise. Mm. And then marinated tuna that's been marinated in, in soy sauce, basically. Now we do it with tamari for the gluten-free. Okay, so just but raw tuna, thinly sliced, raw sashimi tuna, style. Thin, sashimi style, really good quality tuna. You can't be, you know, you don't want the you nerves. You can't scamp, the fi- no. no. And then we, it has a, a, a slice of, or two or three slices of avocado, depending on how big it is, and fried leeks. At the top. Little wisps and of crispy fried leaves. And that's it. Is it, is, it, is it, it like one person's job just to make these all dinner service or all lunch service? No. You would be surprised. In Contramar, the cooks in Contramar are so efficient. It is amazing. But, but it's how many a, such of these a perfect operation. Like on a Saturday lunch that goes how many on from like 1 p.m. Sell? to 5 p.m. How many? Like more than 2,000. That's insane. Uh-huh. Wow. That's crazy. And it's, so four, it's four per plate. And it's one of those things like if yes. you go there, you get it. Like Every, that's like, everybody wants it. Everybody, even, everybody wants even, it. Yeah. Yes, and then, it, it, but anyways, and then talk, going back to what you were asking, the sustainability of fishing and seafood and tuna and the whole issue with tuna. When I went to to San Francisco to open this restaurant, I was convinced I did not want to use tuna because line caught tuna in San Francisco is not that local, mm-hmm. yep. and it's not you know not always not. It, sometimes you get it certain times of year. But what we could get year-round was this amazing trout that was farmed in the border between Oregon and California, and it is so good. McFarland uh, Farm trout, super fatty, delicious, and so we did the and, same. And you said visually it's also very appealing. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's orangey, beautiful, Okay, so you that, that, that Kala or Contramar, you, you got to get that. And then the other dish, speaking of Instagram, okay. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's partly your fault. You no, know? it's not my fault. Yes, it nope. is. Pescado a la Taya. <laughs> yes. What does Taya mean? Taya means it's the way in the Pacific, it's, uh, it's tallar is to rub something. So okay. it's like the rubbed fish, okay. rubbed with the red chilies. All right. So if you've not seen this fish on Instagram, just look, you'll, 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 I'm sure it'll pop up in your feed. So it's a, it's a butterfly snapper that is painted red on one side with a sort of a spicy salsa and then green on the other side with a less spicy, but you were saying for your not Italian, spicy. not yes. spicy, for your Italian side of the family who doesn't totally. like spicy stuff, but totally. you get this very visually arresting green and red grilled fish and it's like, oh my God, I want to eat that, but first let me get a photo of it. Hold on. And I'm sure you have got people all, every single day, people are standing up and trying to get an overhead shot at this fish. Yes. And everyone yes. else to the table is annoyed. Yeah, yes, but it, you know it's it's that's what you would eat in in the Pacific. Yeah. So it, you know, and, and it usually was grilled over fire on the beach or in a very simple environment, and it usually was red because it's the red part is a, a mix of different dried chiles. Yeah. And we did the other side just to make it 
accessible for people who didn't want to eat chile. And, and, so and, I guess, but it ended up being one of those things like, oh, my God, that looks amazing. It even looks better than the original. Totally, and then if you're not using totally. like red snapper, what other fish would, would be good for this? Anything related. It's not always snapper, uh-huh. but it's but it's snapper family. Something or white. Something that, white. Yeah, in, in San Francisco, we use rock cod. Okay. And it's good. It works. It just needs to be firm enough that the you know that the meat holds up. Do you so you you before we move on a couple yes. more questions you you paint it before you flip it over and put the meat side down yeah. on the grill. Do you then paint it again after it comes off the grill just to give it a no. fresh a fresh coat? No, you no. actually no you actually salt it first, paint it, or you know add the sauce and then put it grill down. I mean, the, oh, put the sauce down the first. Flesh side down. Flesh side down, and then to, f- to have it finished cooking, you put the. Oh, okay. All right. Skin. Cool. Yep. You, I imagine you want clean grill grate, grill mm-hmm. grill mm-hmm. grates for that. Yep. Yes. Um, before we get to your lightning round questions, Gabby, uh, you are opening a new restaurant, yes. supposedly shortly, with Jessica Kozlow of yes. Squirrel Fame in Los Angeles. This is going to be in. Santa Monica. It's yes. called Onda. Yes. Is it still on track? How's that yes. going? Opening a restaurant is always a challenge, as you it's know. It's always a challenge. So how's, I know. How's, we committed to this. Where are we this. at with this one? We are at the point where it's um, coming together. It's 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 being built. It's inside the proper hotel in Santa Monica, which will open in June. And then they're going to give us a little bit of more time. They're going to open one section, and it's it's an old, really beautiful building in Santa yeah. Monica. All right, so and you- they've, they've done... a like an addition so they're going to open the new part but then the old part um they're going to open later and that's where the restaurant's going to be okay you had talked about how you sort of vibed with jessica she did a pop-up one time in contramar and as a person you just got on the same wavelength with her i could imagine that you're a vibey person food wise (laughs) if i had to guess what the menu i don't know what what I, i i'm trying to like cross jessica's sort of her very trademark food at squirrel with your very trademark food at contramar and uh-huh. I, I don't where do we end up like can you give us a, a an idea of what the menu is like mm, yes you know you have like a crispy rice with adobo like chiles dried oh, chiles yes. and then you rice, have uh, my, my wife makes that one what's the one with it? it's like the crispy rice with the um all the herb oh my god so good so good yeah so good and then you, you know, and, and we have different ceviches with not only lime juice, but like fermented. Fermented stuff that people yes. in L.A. make. No, no, no. <laughs> we did one with fermented carrot juice and turmeric, okay. and yeah. it was really good. That sounds cool. We, we cooked for the first time sort of thinking of Onda a couple of weeks ago at this um, woman in food thing for Resi. Mm-hmm. And it was fun. It was fun. And the food was really good. And we really used it as an occasion to sort of come up with a menu that we could collaborate yeah, yeah. on. Uh, we well, had done things together, yeah, yeah. like very small, like additions, like Contramar additions to Squirrel or yeah. this pop-up or this breakfast, brunch that, that Jessica cooked in Contramar. But it was, it we had never actually thought about it. And we're going to start developing the menu. Will she, will she be doing some baked goods and such? Yes. Okay. Yes. And it'll be open breakfast, lunch, dinner, theoretically? Breakfast, lunch, dinner. Do you have to do room hotel. Are you doing room service no, or no? No, thank goodness, no. Yeah, but we are going to be doing the lobby, and we have to be open 365 yeah. days a yeah. year. If you're staying at that rest- at hotel, that's probably one reason you want to stay there. I know. And if it's not open, you're like, what the heck? I know. It's it's going to be, It's we're, we're, I'm sort of terrified and excited about it, but we'll see. Okay, we're going to ask you some lightning round questions now. Yes. It's either or. Okay. You've got to answer. Yes. And we'll just hit the ground running. Yeah. Mezcal or tequila? Mezcal. Do you have a favorite brand or? 
Yeah, popular. I mean, no, there's so many. There's so many. There's so, so many. many. How do you take yours? Amaras is just the one we use more. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do I take mine? I like it straight. Oh, straight. Not even chilled? Just Wow. All right. Um, <laughs> Sometimes on ice it can be, depending on the variety of mezcal. I probably know this answer, but pool or ocean? Ocean. All right. On that note. Only when I was a teenager, I was like, oh, the salt <laughs> is boom. No. Pacific Coast or Gulf Coast? Pacific Coast. Fried fish taco or grilled fish taco? It depends when. Depends um, on, what do you mean depends when? Yeah, it depends like where you are, what fish you have. No, it doesn't. Fried fish, we all know that fried fish taco is the right answer here. No. Yes. It, <laughs> how, how can it ever be better than a good, it's all puffing at the little mayonnaise and the cabbage and you're at the beach. But grilled fish taco with like, I mean, come on. Pescado la talla on a tortilla with refried black beans. Can't get better than that. All right, we're going to agree to disagree on that okay, one. Okay, good. Aisle or window? Window. Okay. Clogs or Birkenstocks? For cooking, clogs. Okay. Mexican Coke or American Coke? Mexican Coke, a thousand percent. Do you sell that at, at, in San Francisco? Do you get it? Nope. No. But we do have we, we we don't have Mexican Coke, but we do have a cane cola thing. Okay, agua fresca or horchata? Horchata is a type of agua fresca. Oh, see, I didn't know that. Ah, there you go. Okay, <laughs> just got schooled. All right, couple more: roasted salsa or salsa fresca? Like it depends a pico for de gallo. what. It depends oh, for like what. You don't get no. You get one for the rest of your life. Fresca. Okay. Is there a secret to making good fresh salsa? Like, what, 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 what am fresh, I doing Fresh, good wrong? ingredients. And that's it? Yeah. If you so. do tomatoes, you know, the green tomatoes, which are not good, then it's going to be yeah. so bitter to- and... Tomato, onion, cilantro, lime juice, salt, anything else that's in there? That's for pico de gallo. Okay. But you can make salsa fresca with different things. Like, this is a salsa fresca. This green sauce is oh, a salsa fresca because one. it's not... What's going on in that one? It's just... Salsa fresca just means and everything fresh. raw. Yeah, yeah. Not, not roasted. Not, not yeah. roasted and, or yes. cooked or dried. or So that's fresh serrano, mm-hmm. fresh green tomatoes. We put a little bit of avocado and we put some lettuce in that one. Lettuce? To give it crisp. Interesting, mm-hmm. yeah. Because it also has that beautiful green and also mm-hmm. has that nice, um, almost emulsifying mm-hmm. texture. Mm-hmm. Okay. Last question. Because we I always like ask this, but yeah. I, and I already know what your answer is, but we're going to do it anyways. Butter or olive oil? <sighs> olive oil. Obviously. <laughs> uh, Gabrielle Kamara, thank you so much for joining us on the Bonapetit Foodcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Carrie Polis and Christina Che and produced and edited by Emma Wartsman. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wurtzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.